Okay, give it a needle. So tell me, stranger, who are you exactly? Yeah, who are you? You don't even know who you are. Who are you? Who are you? No one of consequence. I don't think I've ever seen you before. Who are you now? I don't even know who you are. Who I am is unimportant. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? Welcome to The Needle Exchange, the podcast where our amateur musicologists, the dilettante DJs, curate, discuss, and share playlists built on a common theme. My name is Jim Jewell. I'm your host and your semi-regular reminder to find and make friends with people cooler than you are. (laughs) Joining me here in the smoky back break room of our fictional record store are... Rob McGregor, just had my Moderna vaccination and I've got all the five G's in me. Uh, Zach Pruitt, and contrary to the prevalent national mood, I am here to make friends. Uh, Jose Amador, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Welcome, my friends. All right, here's how this works. Uh, The DJs submitted themes. I pulled one out of a hat. Our playlists were due, or their playlists were due one week later, and we had 72 hours to listen to all of the playlists before gathering here for the debrief and public release. And this episode's theme was, who are you this time? And I got to say, like, all three of you have earwormed me with your lists at various times in various ways. But this time the theme did it because I've had the who stuck in my head for 10 freaking days, like <laughs> making my morning tea every morning going, I woke up in a soul. I just can't get the song out of my head. So how about y'all? Uh, any initial reactions to or riffs on the theme? Well, it, it was it was my theme. Uh, and um I I chose it because I wanted something that was going to push me out of my comfort zone. Um, I just did not want to spend another week of just like really fixating on the music and going through the lyrics, which is, you know, it's not something I do pre-list, but when I'm making the list, I want to make sure that everything's on theme. And so this is one that I just like, I can't, I don't want to do that. This is going to take me out of that edge. And that's, that's why I chose this theme. What was it about the list or about the theme that you thought would take you out of that? Um, it just, for me, it didn't really lend itself I uh, to um, to the usual fixation. Um, it just, it, it felt, whenever I did that, and naturally I did, you know, I, I set it out to not do it. And I spent the entire week just like, oh, no, let's put a structure on this. Let's put a structure on this. And it always felt fake it always felt not organic for me um so yeah i was very excited when i first uh, when you first dropped the theme on us because i thought well here's zach and jose for two weeks straight and, and usually always whenever we we do this you guys are always very thoughtful uh you put a lot of time and effort and thought and love into your lists to uh and in the selections that you make I thought, yeah, this is this is this is a time when I can do that myself because three variations of this list came to my head almost immediately. The first one was I can do something very introspective where because I personally feel and I'm sure everybody does this. I personally feel like I'm a different person with every person I meet that I'm kind of mm-hmm. stuck into the first impression that I'm that I make with somebody. So if I'm if I meet somebody and I I'm awkward, I'm always awkward around that person. Or if I meet somebody and I'm really cool, I'm always cool around that person. But 
the reality is I'm just simply always awkward around everybody. Uh, or, or I mean, the reality is, is that I'm just, I am just me around everybody, but I, that's how I feel. And I thought about exploring that. And then I realized that's nah, work. I'm just going to write a cool little spy thriller. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I did a lot of work because <laughs> you did. I was, I was like, I, I was trying to figure out what angle to attack this from. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to attack it from a bunch of different angles. Why not just, why limit it to just one? Um, but yeah, this was definitely a challenge. Uh, my mom and I actually brainstormed a couple of ideas because we were having dinner when I, I played your video, Jim. And so she came up with a couple of good suggestions and I was like, Oh, cool. I'll put those in there for sure. But, uh, yeah, this one was really fun and, um, very much looking forward to hearing everybody's breakdowns. It's really interesting to hear the way that those three takes just lined up because the image I chose for the, you know, when I have to set the podcast up and, and, and captivate before you record, uh, the image I chose was a chimera. Because you had three such different takes on this thing, but they all felt really aligned with the theme and the, even that idea of the chimera, those like multiple faces of the single thing fits in with the different identities that we, we wear. Um, I can't believe you guys set that up so well. And I've already chosen the image. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear you talk about how that theme came out in each of the lists. Uh, this week, Jose, you are kicking us off. Uh, cool. Uh, so, so like, yeah, like I said, I just, I spent the week, uh, I, I decided to start procrastinating because anytime I sat in front of, you know, Spotify to put this thing together, I just, uh, it, like I said, it didn't feel organic. So I kept pushing it off, kept playing around with things like, you know, uh, my inspiration file was not as large as it usually is, but it was still still pretty big and i just kept getting frustrated uh so finally hours in the hours before i was supposed to turn it in i just sat down and knocked this thing together out of music that i really liked over the previous week but not really thinking about how it connects to the next song uh so we start the list with the cool kids and their song called basement party just kind of like saying hello to the listener and you know like yeah it's a party this is a party have fun um that was that was the mood i was trying to instill uh from there we go to Nicki minaj's come on a cone in which uh dick in your face put my dick in your face so uh it's it's really weird how uh so don't interrupt uh, Nikki, Jose. I can't. I can't interrupt Nikki. She is related to uh, Nina Simone, and it's not a gun she has in her hand. Uh, it's a big old dick. It, yeah, well, in your face. In my face. Uh, you know, in, in this song, Nikki uh, is asking the listener to take a ride inside of an ice cream cone. That's where the title comes from. Uh, this, uh, well, I didn't choose this song, uh, this clip. So whoever did, do you want to want to speak in about it? Uh, yeah, no, I chose it uh, because I, my note for this, this one was, Jose cracked it. He found the Nicki Minaj that I like. <laughs> um, because I, I've never been a huge fan of Nicki Minaj. 
she came out hard swinging uh, with her verse on Monster, where she just ate everybody's lunch, including Jay Z's. And I was very excited for her album Pink Fridays, and I just was kind of disappointed by it. And then she started throwing bows at Little Kim, and I was like, "Lady, you just don't have the cachet yet, to, you know, kind of <laughs> to go toe to toe with an industry legend like Little Kim." So I just sort of signed off on Nikki. And every time I heard some of her stuff, I've been like, "Eh, it's okay." A couple of things, you know, hit like Anaconda as a bop. This, however, is the unhinged Nicki Minaj that I've always wanted. And I was like, yes, yeah. so I got this album. I had to buy this album after you uh, put that in. Oh, cool. Uh, well, this, yeah, this is, uh, I think her second solo, like that's just solely hers. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, this is the last time I've kept track of her career, but, uh, but for me, this is, and this is the only album of hers that I own because this is the last time she uses that uh, really hyperactive voice to good effect. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel fake. It feels like this is a natural extension of her voice. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure somebody will correct me if they find something, you know, beyond Anaconda out there that, you know, that resonates. But for me, this is the album that does it. Uh, from there, we go to uh, Benny More and Perez Prado, uh, Pachito Eche. Yeah, this is one of the points where your playlist uh, gave my cast a workout because I was constantly dancing around my condo during it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a great song, and it's it's one you cannot resist moving to. Uh, also, I don't – yeah, this is not one of mine. So who uh, is it whoever chose this? Want to want to speak in about it? Yeah, this was me. Um, there was a period where I was like super into Afro-Latin jazz, Cuban jazz um, – and Pettis Prado was was a name that was definitely floating around a lot at that point. Um, and it just kind of brought me back. I haven't really revisited. I, and it actually prompted me to revisit some of the, some of that music that I had listened to back in the early 2000s. And uh, I just loved it. It's just great. I love the call and response. I love the the hoops and hollers in the background. Like, it's just it's just so alive. Uh, the hoots and hollering is basically uh, Pettis Prado's uh, signature. He's, he's yeah. was the first person to actually bring that forth. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see how that uh, carried itself through Latin music after Pettis Prado had, had, you know, lost his influence. Uh, he, I think, very seminal, uh, especially in the time frame that he was around, uh, because from him, you can point a, a direct line to uh, Willie Colon uh, and his band leadership skills. Uh, also, his work with uh, Ruben Blades and uh, uh, Hector Lavoe—all of that kind of uh, has this as an influence. Uh, and then German techno act uh, Senor Coconut uh, is very much a Perez Prado uh, acolyte. Uh, if you listen to his music, you'll hear that <laughs> everywhere, and that's 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 <laughs> that comes from Perez Prado. Um, let's see. From there. We go to uh, Muelad Melancia. Go ahead and play the clip. Oh, wait, you skipped a song, though. No? A Pachito? Did you have a second Cool Kids? Oh, yeah, the second Cool Kids, Ice, Rice, and Beans, which is an interlude from uh, a later later album of theirs, a latter album of theirs, Baby Oil Staircase. Us, a lot has happened. 
uh, to those kids from that first album that we heard at the bake sale. Uh, the the music in this album and everything else that you know came in just before and after this. A lot has changed about those kids, uh, but uh, the the humor has not gone away, and it's reflected in this uh, in this interlude. Um, I, I like Such using a skit. it. It Such is a, a skit. hilarious skit, and I like using interludes to you know just kind of set the set a tone change, and this this was perfect because it set up perfectly this next song. So, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I've been losing daddy sage. Yeah, man. I want to take a quick second to talk about Muler Melancia. Um, uh, this is a little peek into Brazilian culture, which if you want like a, a Cliff Notes version of what, what that is, uh, if you ever turn on Univision and marvel at what goes on on shows like Sabado Gigante, you know, there's just like women in bathing suits, dancing to music and all, you know, and all kinds of stereotypes <laughs> going all over the place. So Brazilian culture tells that culture, that, that Mexican Latin American culture and says, hold my beer and goes even fucking crazier. Now, uh, the thing to know about Muller Melancia, her name translates to Watermelon Woman, uh, and there are many reasons why she has earned this nickname, but not least of which is that she is actually a watermelon princess. She comes from a, uh, a watermelon family in, the, in Brazil, uh, and she uses that money to uh, support her uh, music career. Um, this song, uh, Velocidad de Seis, is, uh, is kind of a, a boast song about her car, which has a sixth gear. Uh, something that she is so proud of, she, she demonstrates this twice, uh, in the course of the song. Now, uh, if, you know, you can look into her, you know, go to YouTube and find out about her is, you know, see if you can find some safe for work material. But if you don't really make sure that you're not at work at the very least. Um, but yeah, kind of an interesting character she is. Um, from, uh, from there, we go to Fishbone, Hide Behind My Glasses, which is a yeah. great illustration of introvert extrovert personality. Uh, from there, we go to Sleater Kenny's Milkshake and Honey, which is a nice sardonic little song. Uh, and the first instance that I can think of, at least uh, post-1990s, of a, a woman rock star kind of doing that snarky song about fanboys and how they take advantage of the situation. Uh, great, great fun little ditty. Uh, from there, we go to the second um, interlude in the, in, in the list, uh, Black Sheep. You mean I am not? Uh, they, Black Sheep is kind of like an unsug member of the Native Tongues family, um, which also consists of uh, Jungle Brothers, uh, De La Soul, and uh, the Tribe Called Quest. So they're kind of the, the Black Sheep of that family, ergo the name. Um, this album, uh, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, is a stone classic. That first album just kicks all kinds of butt. 
of ass. Uh, there's they have at least one more. Uh, I have not spent any time on it, mostly because I just I don't need to after this album. Uh, I will be I will be looking into them further though. Uh, from there we go to David Frischberg and My Attorney Bernie. Just a cute little fun little song. <laughs> Uh, so clean, though. It's so weird. clean. It is very so clean. And there was this repetition of these little, like, Broadway, vaudeville sort of elements that came through the three lists, like, they, that popped out here and there. And that was that was one of them for me. Um, and then David Frischberg, you should, if you look him up, he, he's really had kind of like an interesting career, um, uh, which ended recently, uh, I think 2017 in Portland. Uh, throughout, you know, he's kind of developed this you know, jazz musician career, but also he was one of the uh, writers in the Schoolhouse Rock. He wrote like uh, a good number of those songs. So he, he's been around. Uh, you should look into him. Uh, from there, we go to Je suis son go-go girl by the Liminianas. Yes. They, uh, this duo, um, they've been around for a bit, uh, but I discovered them through the soundtrack of the first season of uh, Russian Doll, and I've just been kind of fixated oh, on them right. ever since. Um, um, they're, they're just a lot of fun. They're just a lot of fun. And I never sound anything less than cool in, in yeah. any of their songs. Uh, from there, we go to Ken Nordine, and the song is called Beige. So good. Impossible to understand Beige unless you stare at him hard, stare him right in his whys. Unless you see Beige in the serious <laughs> beigeness of being its beige self. More than anything, Beige is careful. Insanely so, really. <laughs> Almost as careful as that shade of yellow that's afraid. But beige is much sneakier than yellow. Uh, when you included that, I swear the first time I heard it, I wanted to ask before I looked at when it was made, did you commission this song? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish, because then I would be able to take credit for the rest of this album. Um, it's a great uh, album. It's a great album. Uh, all of something like 35, 36 songs about colors. Um, and they're, they all kind of have this kind of flavor to them. Although the music styles very greatly, varies greatly. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, this is another song I did not pick. So please full hold forth. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, that, that was me. Sorry. My bad. Um, I love Ken Nordine so much. Uh, I've, I've, I discovered him when I was a teenager, when I was going through a, a big beat phase uh listening to a lot of just <laughs> beat generation jazz and uh and just weirdness and and reading a lot of uh well reading a lot of naked lunch and <laughs> shit like that um <laughs> and yeah i just love ken, ken nordine uh the, the first time i heard him was a song that i used on a list a few weeks ago for let's eat i was about uh, to ask yeah uh, uh hunger is from where he's just sitting there uh there, there there's there's jazz going on in the background he's just sitting there just eating talking about Sometimes late at night, I like to just sit here and mm, 
just I get so hungry and I like to. <laughs> he's eating a plate of food and it's <laughs> disgusting, but it's you can't you, you can't turn away. You can't help but stop listening to his dulcet tones and the, and the beautiful, beautiful jazz behind him. I just love this. I just love the dude. Uh, and yeah, his voice really just carry carries you through a lot of the what you could possibly consider a wacky concept, but it the voice has enough gravity that it will pull you through. Um, so great songs on this album. Colors um, uh, maroon is a fun song. Uh, Flesh is another great song. White is a great song. Uh, it, it it there's there's a lot here. There's a lot to discover here. And then to, to wrap this up, we finish with uh, Bobby Matos and Joe Batan, uh, a cover of the song called Senor Blues. This is this is another song where I was looking for I was initially looking for the original version of this, uh, but I couldn't find it. So I landed on this instead. I quote unquote settled on it. Uh, I was actually very, very happy to have found it, um, mostly because it kind of emphasized the Afro Latin jazz thing that I had established earlier with Benny Moret. This is a nice callback to that kind of thing. Um, you know, naturally, as soon as I turned in the list. I find the song I was looking for. Uh, so if you like this cover, if you like this cover of Senor Blues, uh, do yourself a favor and find the original by Horace Silver. And it's on his album called Six Pieces of Silver. There is both an instrumental and a vocal version of the song there. And that's my list. Yeah. And I want to get uh, Rob and Zach uh, responding to it, but I'm actually going to go ahead and just pull producer's privilege and give you my reaction first, because I broke the rules and sent Jose a text saying, this list was like going on a walk with you. Uh, and for me, <laughs> it started with the very first Cool Kids song. Like the, it was that perfect, like if I came to a party at your house, I'd expect that to be playing. It just so fit what I know of you aesthetically, but by the time it hit the fishbone song, it became, Oh wait, this is Jose. The list is Jose. The list is just the layers of Jose, which is why when I got to beige, I'm like, did this motherfucker have a song written for him? <laughs> but I love that. Like it, by the, I, I felt, and of course the, 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 the Latin a influence is, is part of it as well. But when I got to the end, I did feel like, I just took a walk with my buddy Jose and you give so many different layers of who you are in these selections of songs, which is why it was fascinating to hear you say like you had like you had to lean into letting it be that organic. And I think it works in that way. Cool. Indeed. Cool. Absolutely agreed. Glad to have shared my inner Brazilian bombshell with you all. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, he's like, Jose, are you trying to tell us something that you want those double D double G popos that she's talking about? <laughs> Um, I, when I, when I, I, I threw on your list, yours was the first I'd listened to and cool kids comes on. And my note for this was one part dope, one part dork. This list is definitely autobiographical, <laughs> uh, which, which it sets the tone perfectly. Just as Jim said, uh, because Jose, we've known each other for nearly a quarter of a century. 
and it, it, it's one really, part dork. I, one I love part, the fact uh, that you, you grabbed this oh, thing, is he frozen? You threw it in our faces, and said, okay. "And we're back. Uh, we had a slight." catastrophic technical issue that interrupted recording, uh, but we're all back wired in. And Rob, I believe the crash came right as you were talking about Jose's list. Uh, yes, Jose. Uh, we were talking, I think I crashed around the point where I was talking about fishbone and your yeah. excellent use of fishbone. That's right. Which yeah. of course, of course you would use fishbone because fishbone is very you. Whenever I hear fishbone, I think of you because you love them. And that's this a is fucking an compliment. Jesus Christ. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, hold up because we, we got a little bit more coming. Okay. Uh, yeah. With, uh, with, with, with the fishbone, uh, I thought it was a fantastic uh, piece. I, I understood, I think, where you're coming with it. The hiding behind the glasses, the, the introvert, extrovert uh, dichotomy there, which I think is very much you. You are very much an introverted extrovert, uh, as, as are many of us, I believe. And uh, I was only a little worried that you were judging us uh, with that song, because it, it does get a little judgy. But uh, I, I knew that ultimately it came out of love of Fishbone and, uh, you know, just love of... Uh, of this music in general, it's it's the judging of the norms. You're not a norm. You're you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a compliment. That, that too is a compliment. Uh, moving into Sleater Kinney, which my note for that was just thumb up emoji because uh, a couple of years ago, I I remember lamenting that I'd never cracked Sleater Kinney that they never really got under my skin, and I'd asked during a happy hour. We were talking about I, I'd mentioned Sleater Kinney or somebody mentioned Sleater Kinney. I was like, man, I never cracked them. Where should I start? And Jose, you actually said you, you need to start with uh, Dig Me Up. And so that's where I did. And that's where uh, my appreciation for Sleater Kinney comes in. They're, they're truly a band, I think, that very much like the Pixies, you can go to a party anywhere in the world and put on like a Sleater Kinney album. Yeah. And no one's going to complain. Right. Same, same thing with the Pixies. Uh, so I, I appreciated that one as well. By the time you get to Black Sheep, however, I was like, you okay, Beige? <laughs> you, you doing good, bro? <laughs> you doing all right? Uh, but then I realized, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a dream, but all, and we all have those, uh, we all have those times where we just want to. To be clear. Unleash. I love my mother. I love my sister. I love my, my deep seized <laughs> father. They're all good people. Uh, I'll just put that out there on the record. <laughs> Fair, fair. The I never had a portion of the evening. <laughs> uh, moving through the rest of it, uh, going on, to, uh, I've already mentioned Ken Nordine, my love for Ken Nordine. And I, I th my, my note for this was just fucking art. Absolute art. Ch this choice uh, for you. And as, as Jim said, it, it, it's almost as if you commissioned this song for you. I don't think the listeners know. Oh, probably uh, not. Yeah. The etym etymology of beige. Do you want to go into that at all? Uh, sure. Um, to, to say that the friends I typically tend to hang out with are not politically correct would, would kind of be an understatement. And uh, I was hanging out with uh, good friends, uh, Greg Delaney and his ex-wife, uh, Patty. Uh, and uh, as conversations with me tend to do, you know, mildly racist, you know, banter. I started calling them whitey, you know, shut up whitey. What the hell do you know? And they, you know, they had the classic, well, wait a second. What do we call you? You know, you're not black, you know, you're not even what you're beige. 
And that kind of became, you know, they started calling me Beji and I kind of adopted it. Uh, my email address, uh, well, actually, most of my uh, email addresses are some variation of uh, the word the, the word beige, and the word one. Some some kind of mix up therein. So, You've heard it here first, lead hacks orders. <laughs> I didn't say which order. I didn't say which spelling. That's also another thing because it, it, I, I, I fuck around with the spelling. But yeah, so the name, the, the word beige has kind of become uh, a pet name for me. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why it's stuck in there in the, um, the, who are you this time list? It's just a, just a play on my nickname. And then, uh, just ending with the Bobby Matos, which is just an absolute groove. Uh, it was a lovely list, fantastic list. It was surprising to me that, but now after I've listened to it again, uh, since you mentioned it yesterday, it, it doesn't have your signature flow. And I really love the fact that you just said, I'm going to let this one go. I'm just going to let this one go and, and let the, the chips fall where they may. I think that shows a lot of discipline, <laughs> to, hmm. to, to be honest with you. Uh, and so I, I appreciated that. And I, I love the fact that that was, uh, that was the choice that you'd made and you followed through with it. And it's still just an incredible list. So yeah, that's you could have polished off. You could have polished off some really good texture here if you had over thought it or over messed with it, and it came out just perfect. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, um, one of the things, because I never fully answered Jim's question about how the theme played out in the list, and when I finally sat down to do it, the one thought that I, the two thoughts that I had, one I wanted to have like a, a cartoonish kind of sensibility, uh, a little 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 nod to Warner Brothers, that kind of sense of humor. And the other thought was, I wanted disparate. So, you know, going from Fishbone to Sleater Kinney, that's not that big a jump. But going from Fishbone to Sleater Kinney to um, uh, to Black Sheep to um, uh, David Frischberg, et cetera, and so forth, that, you know, you would not necessarily put all of those things in one list. And I wanted it's to more do more of a Ron McGregor list right there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I want, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to uh, at least hang together the way that a Rob McGregor list hangs together, you know, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Word. Anyway, uh, excellent work, my friend. Thank you. My brother. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll pass it off to Zach. Jose, I feel like I'm finally on to you because <laughs> <laughs> you're all of your lists and it, I'm, 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 I'm slow on the uptake, but like all of your lists are uh, deeply personal. Like no matter what the theme is, mm. you find a way to kind of imprint yourself into every song. And you're not just telling whatever story is being told on the song, but you're also kind of telling your own story. And and nowhere is that more evident than in this list, which thematically I was like, yep, this is all over the place. Except I, would, I, I actually would say that the first five tracks kind of told a little short story for me um, mm. about, about being a kid, you know, mm. having house parties going to dances, uh, watching something on TV and a commercial comes on, seeing I'm a, a hot lady. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> that one, similar to your, your previous episodes, your quiet list, the way that one kind of transported me to a night, a night out in the city, you know, going to museums mm -hmm. and whatever else. Like this one kind of took me to a, a, a place and I was like, that's really cool. And then from, from kind of fishbone on, it was just a, it's a, it's a potpourri um, of just really great, tracks that you know the, the cool thing about listening to a playlist that has this many kind of disparate sounds is that after a couple of listens 
they just kind of sound like they were designed to be placed next to each other. <laughs> and you, you, yeah. you, your brain just kind of creates that flow. Um, and it, and it totally worked out here. I, the, the Sleater Kinney song is great. Every time I hear a Sleater Kinney song, I just love it. They're really good at melody. They're really good at keeping things up, upbeat. And I love the line. I've always been a, a guy with a sweet tooth and she's, she's a king size candy bar. I love how they they're singing that from the male perspective. Just, yeah. Just like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Get horny. I like it. Get aggressive. <laughs> the Limignanas was a revelation for me. I can't believe that I have not heard of this group. Um, I'm a huge fan of that Velvet Underground, Brian Jonestown Massacre sound. And that's just like, that is them to a T. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> the first time that I heard beige, the word beige in a racial context uh, was in the movie, The Birdcage, where Gene Hackman is like complaining about how the Robin Williams character is ordering that beige savage around, which is Hank Azaria <laughs> playing a Latin character, which is problematic in its own way. My father was the chairman of his tribe, okay? <laughs> yeah. I so the first time I heard that word in that context, it was it was laid out for me very neatly. Like, this is a not a good word to use <laughs> at all. <laughs> but that was, and, and again, like, you know, I feel kind of privileged to listen to this list because there is some vulnerability there. Um, you may not be like fully aware of it, but I was aware of it. And uh, it was, it was just nice to, it was just kind of nice to hear that. And then the closing song between, you know, Perez Prado, Marimore, Bobby Amados, um, you're kind of like rekindling my love for Afro-Cuban jazz. And I'm going to try and f- hopefully find a home for uh, some of the songs that I, listened to in the early 2000s uh in an upcoming list if if it fits the theme but um excellent yeah man just just fantastic really good stuff thank you thank you and i look forward to that list should it come to fruition well i obviously from my initial reaction agree with the you know, to take on this being a very personal list but i think it's one that holds up on its own as well but it's it's a kind of like things like opera that you can enjoy but unless you fully love you can't get all of it and I feel like those of us who know you well and have known you a while, we get a little bit of extra uh, off of the, off of this list. Uh, Zach, you uh, rounded out our comments and your list is up next. Do you want to break it down for us? Sure. So, yeah, this one was really fun. I think I mentioned it in the first half of the podcast that I wasn't really sure which angle to attack this from. So I ended up just attacking it from every angle that came to mind. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of sectioned up a little bit. Um the first track was originally going to be uh, The Stranger by Billy Joel, but I was aware that most discerning music listeners would, would see that track at the top of the playlist and say, well, that's uncalled for, uh, because not people are not, <laughs> in general, a fan of Billy Joel. I'm not a really big fan of Billy Joel either, but for some reason, The Dream of the Blue Turtles just popped into my mind because it's this one minute, 18 second song in which three themes are played. And it's like, this is a song with multiple personalities and and multiple identities. That was the idea. Um, I love I love how restless and crazy Sting is on this album. Like you just get the sense that that he was in the police. He was unhappy. He wanted to venture out on his own, and this was his opportunity to kind of express who he really was. 
So we just got this amazing ensemble of musicians and uh, and just put together this this incredible album, unashamedly political, um, but also deeply emotional. And then you just got this one little song in there, just just, just nuts. And I love how they laugh at the end of it. They're just like, what the fuck did we just do? Um, so that's just the intro to the list, really. And then uh, next up, um, the next two songs um, are connected in a couple of different ways. So we have uh, Personality Crisis by the New York Dolls and then Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads. The meta context here is that both of these bands were at one point considered uh, or, or kind of slapped with the label punk um, for no other reason than the fact that they both came up in the same decade uh, and in the same city and played the same clubs. But that was really where the similarities ended. And in, and I, I know that Personality Crisis is not necessarily a response to that, but I'd kind of like to think that it was. I mean, the song in general is kind of a big middle finger to authority. And it's just like, you know, you can't tell us who we are. Only we, only we can dictate that. But on, a, on another subconscious level, I'd like to think like, no, don't slap us with this label. Like, you know, other bands like Television and Patti Smith Group and Blondie, like they were all getting dumped into this punk bucket. And it's like they, they couldn't sound more different from each other. So I wanted them next to each other for that reason. Um and then the once in a lifetime, you know, could spend days interpreting that song. And, and there are a lot of good interpretations of it, which I kind of pulled from multiple different ones. You know, the, 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 mo- the most popular one, I think, was it was a song about consumerism and how it ultimately leads people to this place where they kind of they kind of just don't know. They, they've just been on autopilot. Right. And they just kind of don't know who they are anymore. And she's like, how did I get here? What? I didn't sign up. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Tina's bass is so simple and pure in that song. Yeah, and it's, it's, great. it's just great. And yeah, I read up on the song a little bit. David Byrne um, based his singing style off of a, um, a reverend giving a sermon, which I just think is fantastic. Um, and this song kind of became an anthem for, I, I don't know, I don't know if this is true necessarily, but I feel like, you know, it came out at, right at the, at, the, at the beginning of the 80s and it, and it kind of became this anthem for dispossessed, kind of lost middle-aged white suburbanites, you know, who were all kind of they were all the, the baby boomer generation and they, they were all there for the summer of love. And then all of a sudden, 20 years later, they're in the suburbs of this beautiful house and this beautiful wife. And, you know, I think a lot of people kind of identified with the song on that level. But in any case, I think identity really ties into it in a lot of different ways. So the next four songs is kind of the next section. And this is the, the part of the playlist that deals with um, relationships and um, how identity kind of plays into that. So uh, Your Best American Girl by Mitski is a very autobiographical uh, song about a relationship that she had with a, an American boy who she was deeply in love with, but ultimately couldn't stay with because his family didn't like the fact that she was Asian and she was faced with the prospect of, you know, having to contort herself into a version of her that would be acceptable to them. If I could, I'd be your little spoon this song is just ridiculously beautiful. Just, yeah. just so good. But big spoon, you have so much to do, and I have nothing Okay, Mitski, okay. You pull me over and tear out my soul and park your car on it. <laughs> what works for me with this song is that it's a heartbreaking song, and yet 
it's a major key love ballad. Like it's got these power mm-hmm. chords that are that are positive and and hopeful. Like everything's going to be okay when, of course, they're not. And I love that contrast. I love it. It makes it all the more all the more potent. I think. And then next up, we've got "Dress" by P.J. Harvey. Maybe one of my favorite P.J. songs, if not my favorite. It's mine. Yeah, this is a great debut album. It's so confident. Um, I feel like the song should have been like a 90s feminist anthem. It, it never never really took off and she didn't really find worldwide acclaim until a couple albums later. But um, this one just immediately endeared me to her. And it's, you know, very straightforward with what this one is about. I love the line about, you know, bowling over like a heavy loaded fruit tree. I just love that imagery. But yeah, like <laughs> every just... hot mess relationship I've ever been in has been with a fan of PJ Harvey. <laughs> They're like there. really good hot mess relationships, but hot mess relationships. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um I like how this one contrasts with the, with the uh, the Mitski song though, because it's you know in this song she's not talking about the guy at all. She doesn't have any feelings about this guy. This it's not the point of the song. The guy is a stand-in for society and the impossible beauty standards that we impose on women. And it's a very aggressive song that gives you the the impression that this woman will stop at nothing. Right? It's the only thing that matters, which is this mindset that I think a lot of women struggle with. My goal here was to have a kind of a female perspective and a male perspective on this. And so if the first two songs were the female perspective about how women have this daily challenge about having to fit in with society's expectations, I wanted the the male perspective to deal more with um, how men deal with rejection. Uh, So I'm Your Man by Leonard Cohen. Uh, I don't like the Leonard Cohen version of the song. I listened to it. And I wanted to, I wanted to include it. I was like, it's, it's, I, I want to include the original artist because nobody understands that song better than Leonard. But then I saw that Nikkei had done a cover, which I, I did not know about. And I was like, oh man, this is so much better. <laughs> like Nick Cave taps into this primal kind of animalistic um, frame of mind. And this, this is the song, like he transforms this song into um the point of view of a man that has just been broken up with. And he's saying, no, 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 please. I'll be anything. I'll do anything. I'll be anything that you need at any given time. And if I can't be the thing that I am by nature, like if I can't be the person that you want me, then I'll be, I'll put on a mask and I'll be that person. I will pretend I will do anything. Please just don't leave. I'm on my knees. I'm begging you. Don't leave you fucking bitch. Like that's the energy that I'm getting from the song, right? <laughs> Charlie, let's yeah. work it out, you fuck bitch. <laughs> it's it is exactly John Cusack in High Fidelity, screaming in the rain. <laughs> um, and then uh, all I need by Radiohead, which is this, you know, kind of the, the 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 flip side of this song, where it's like, okay, you've gotten what you want. Now you you are everything to this woman, and she can't stand you. She's ignoring you at every turn. Um, he's just kind of going through the list of all of the ways in which he is ignored by this woman. He says, I'm, I'm in the center of your picture lying in the reeds. I love that line. Like I'm, I'm, I am your significant other and I'm invisible. Um, but so it's, it's, it's not necessarily identity centered, but it's identity adjacent. And it is, those four songs are just about like kind of what we do to ourselves 
um, in order to find love, in order to keep love. And then all of that by Catherine Wheel. This is a, this is just kind of a standalone song, and it deals with uh, celebrity and how celebrities are all things to all people at any given time, and their identities are shaped by millions of people who all have differing opinions about celebrity. I am delicious. I am crap. This is the one that wrecked me. This song is the one that wrecked me. Jim, is this the one where both Rob and Jose both picked the exact same clip? Yeah, let's uh, check out that other clip. It's great diversity here. <laughs> we just heard it. <laughs> it's literally the same clip that blows my mind. This, this is mine. The other one is yours. This one's mine. At least mine came no, first. Actually, other way, other way. Other way, sorry. It's so easy to get confused. Um, yeah, so... Wishville, <laughs> Wishville is one of my top five like Desert Island albums. There's not a bad song on that album for me. It was one of the the last wheezing gasps of the Britpop um, movement, and of all bands to, for it to come from, it came from Catherine Wheel, who are this kind of you know respected but not universally renowned shoegaze band. And then they totally shifted gears for this album, and um, I just I just love every song. And this song, I just had to include it because I was looking for songs in which the singer was going down the list of all the things that they are, right? I am this, I am that, I am this. A lot of those songs are not good, but this one was great. So um, the last two are connected. So I'm still here is, you know, classic Broadway tune. Um, I couldn't find the best version, which is the version from Postcards from the Edge that Shirley MacLaine mm. sings. But uh, this is the original Broadway cast. And essentially this woman is just, you know, this woman has lived a lot of lives and she's just kind of going through everything that she's had to do to survive. And I wanted to put that next to the Lou Reed song um, because I feel, I felt like, you know, these two people are uh, in very similar places in their lives. They're maybe in their sixties and they're approaching the, the twilight years, the winter years. One of them is talking about all the things that she's done. And I wanted the Lou, I wanted the next song to say, well, what's next. And so the modern dance song is, is Lou kind of saying, well, I don't know if I want to stay in New York the rest of my life. Maybe I want to go to Amsterdam. Maybe I want to go to Yucatan or, or you know, Scotland, wear a kilt. I don't know. Like he's just completely putting it up in the air as to what he wa- where he wants to be. And I feel like where we are geographically can change who we are. And I think it's it's a song about just being restless and maybe not. And it maybe it ties into the, the the celebrity, you know, the all of that song where it's just like maybe I I, I kind of just want to be in a place where I'm no longer defined by other people i just want to be able to define myself and uh that's it i felt like i'm still here was uh shaking hands with my attorney bernie from the the previous list there was something <laughs> like a spiritual cousin relationship there uh rob and jose do you have uh, anything you want to say about zach's list uh sure sure um uh, uh really love this list and i last time uh, in the previous episode the quiet episode i talked about narratives and how i tend to attach them uh to lists and i really with your with your pieces with both of your pieces but uh zach going back to when we started with in the happy hour like it it always felt natural to 
attach a narrative. And this was exactly the same, whether you intended to or not. I really enjoyed the narrative here is what I'm trying to get at. Um, uh, a lot of my notes are just like, okay, this fucking song rules because of this. You know, for example, the Dream of the Blue Turtles, like you mentioned it earlier. This is really staying has never sounded more playful or more interested in what he is doing after the police than he does on this album and like 80% of nothing like the sun. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think part of that is who he was uh, collaborating with, but particularly Branford Marsalis yeah. uh, playing saxophone on uh, especially this album. And I really wish that the two of them would have been able to hang out and, you know, write together more often because, uh, uh, really, Dream of the Blue Turtles is distinctive. I, um, I get a lot of shit from like my musician friends about liking uh, liking this era of the uh, it's Sting in general. Uh, and I only have like, okay, yeah, but Dream of the Blue Turtles and like 80% of Nothing Like the Sun, shut the fuck up. And they go, man, you're a fucking punk. And we stop talking to each other. Uh, <laughs> That's the reason, Jose. That's the reason. <laughs> Uh, once in a lifetime, it, it, you, you were you, when you were just talking about it, having it identified with um, uh, Boomer post uh, in the middle, you know, the middle of the eighties. Uh, yuppie, I think the commercial campaign for Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Yep, uh, where they used this song and attached it to uh, Richard Dreyfus as a as a schlub, as a as a Nebuchadnezzar lost Boomer. I think that's what kind of. That was the final nails in that coffin. And I don't think the song has been able to recover from that since. Uh, in listening to the the clips, we've already talked about Best American Girl and that, that just so beautiful. And, the, the, and that was the one that killed me. That was the slayer for me. Yeah. Uh, because that... Mitski does the same thing that uh, like Lucy Dacus does of coming in with this soulful, sad song. And all of a sudden there's just a wow. And it was turning into power chords and yeah. I love it. It just sent chills up my spine. It's a great example of loud, soft, loud, which mm-hmm. is a, a theory that was it the Pixies that came out with that or was Sonic Youth? I, I forget so. which one it was. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, but Lao Soft Lao, it's, it's a great example. And then Mitski adds the um, um, distortion to it. And I think that the, the the emotional distance that the distortion adds as she is, these these lyrics are coming out just killed me, just killed me. And then you follow that up with fucking all of that. And that, yeah, <laughs> you know, fuck you, Zach. You know, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm just trying to have a good time listening to these lists, man. Uh, other than that, I, I wanted to um, uh, really touch on the transition going from dress into I'm your man and how that was a nice little nod and a wink to the relationship that Nick Cave and PJ Harvey had. And yep. I think it was at around the time that he recorded that cover that they were in the midst of their tryst. So yep. uh, I, I like that little nod and wink to, to that relationship. And I felt that that handoff really kind of nice. encapsulated it nicely. Yeah. I had no idea. That's a really cool Easter egg. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reinforces my take on this where Jose said uh, narrative for me. And I, I actually teach academic writing to be like progressive in the narrative of an idea. But that's what this felt like, an academic essay on the idea of identity in music list form. Hmm. Like it was it gave me so many great points of departure, but it felt like, yeah, this was a discussion and investigation of identity. 
Well, those, are, those, those moments. <laughs> I'm an English teacher. What am I, gonna, I gotta bring that up at some point. I make some kind of use of this degree. Uh, like I, it's another one where I really enjoyed the listening, uh, the multiple listens of it. But that's every time it felt like it, it's a cerebral mix yeah. on some level. Like it gets me thinking about ideas about identity. Cool, Rob, you're up, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, so, um, like Jose. You'd be surprised to know that I attach narrative to these things as well. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, big spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> big fucking shocker. Uh, I like to attach narratives to these things. And I, too, found myself, just my brain falling into a narrative of uh, of a couple. Much like the, uh, you guys familiar with the musical I Do, I Do? I've heard of it. I, I thought that, heard of, but not familiar. It, it, I thought that was called Mamma Mia. <laughs> Uh, no, I do. I do. It's a it's a two hander musical. Uh, it has that one song, uh, "My Cup Floweth Over with Love." If you mm. know that one at all, I do actually. Uh, so, it shows uh, the progression of a relationship as it kind of goes through it, the initial, the initial bloom and blossom and blush of love and lust, and then its ultimate disintegration. Uh, and then, and then it, it does resolve where they get back together, but they, they go through trauma and it kind of felt like this was, you were, you're capturing that to me, uh, starting with, well, well, first with, with the sting, uh, <laughs> with the sting, my, my note for that was lol, what pair? I, I didn't know where you, where you were going with that at all. Other than the fact that you're sting playing some jazz, but I, I, I put on your list and I was doing something and I was like, ah, this this is kind of tight. Who is this? Oh, it's fucking Sting. What? <laughs> what? So that was ultimately just sort of a, a, a field leveler for me. I didn't know quite what to do with that other than to say, well, here's this guy who isn't known for doing uh, jazzy refrains, and here he is doing a, a dope little jazzy refrain. Moving into New York Dolls, I kind of felt that it was like th- these two kids who met at cbgb's uh in in the 80s uh and they were both wearing the same dress uh at at a new york dolls uh concert and uh they just kind of get together and suddenly they find themselves together and they're they're like how did i get here with uh with uh, once in a lifetime Mm. and then following their relationship process through through Mitski, PJ Harvey, Nick Cave, Radiohead, they're just they're trying to make it work, but it's not quite working. It's still coming together, but not really. And then they ultimately they they get old and they get old either together or apart. Or maybe they they break up, but they come back together later in life, 40, 30 years later in life, and they kind of catch up with what they're doing. And here she is talking about all the stuff that she's done. And that's the Ivan DiCarlo, um, which, by the way, Lily Munster sings the blues. That's that's uh, super dope. I appreciated that. Uh, and Ivan DiCarlo played Lily Munster in the Munsters. And uh, I really appreciate the Stephen Sondheim. Always. I appreciate Sondheim. Uh, a genius lost to us. Yeah. While while he kind of catches up with her and talks about Lou Reed or uh, it takes on the Lou Reed role and says, hey, why don't we just get the fuck out of here and go somewhere else other than here and live out the rest of our days together. It's not a life being a wife, which yeah. I hate that lyric, but but still, it, it, it still works because <laughs> Lou Reed and we love Lou Reed. Yeah. But that's the story that I kind of put together with it uh, after after the like that, like narrative with a time jump. Yeah. And so I, I really 
appreciate uh, the work that you put into this. I'd never listened to, I'd listened to a once in a lifetime, a, a thousand times, but never with good cans, never with good Same. headphones. Same. I missed a so much in that song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is amazing. There's so much going on in that, that I really appreciate and adore. Uh, Mitski. Yes. I pulled that clip. That was me. I had to, after I pulled it, I had to go hug Naomi. I just, that song. Yes. Sl- yeah. You, you got it, Jim. That song slayed me. Uh, just that opening, that those opening phrases. Yeah. Just so lovely and heartbreaking and needful. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Mitski, you, you got me. You got me. And she was new to me. I'd never heard of or from her. And I immediately listened to Puberty too after after listening to that song. And yeah. It's a great album. Uh, give it yeah, a listen. I, I picked up Mitski from my kiddo. And that, not one that she introduced me to that she just mentioned. I'm like, All right, I'm not going to say anything and scare the teenager away. I'm just going to make a note and then went and discovered her. Yeah, she too has a rabid, a rabid fan following, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not unlike uh, T-Swift that she goes the opposite direction of, of Taylor in terms of engaging her fans. She's like, I really don't like, I'm not comfortable with this. You guys, I need you to put your phones down and engage with me. I, I, I need you to not fawn over me. I need to walk through the audience and you're, you're grabbing onto me and it's making me cry. She has a, she has an interesting relationship with her fan base, but a, a human one, I guess she gets, <laughs> she has a, a human, human, a human exactly. relationship, <laughs> not a demigod style relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that you did research into Talking Heads and planted the PJ Harvey Nick Cave uh, Easter egg in here, I feel like reinforces my idea of this being an academic essay. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> both, that's compelling evidence in my favor. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. <laughs> I've, always, I've always PJ thought Harvey. that I've always thought that I was a dumbass. So it's great to uh, it's great to hear that I did something <laughs> academic, academically uh, pleasing, accidentally academic, accidentally fine. <laughs> <laughs> my note for PJ Harvey, much like for Jose's uh, introduction of Nicki Minaj was Zach cracked it. He found the PJ Harvey. I like because I've never been a big fan of PJ Harvey and you're going to make me listen to her. Oh. Again, so. Well, I feel like that's the wrong note. I almost, when you just said you are not a fan of PJ Harvey, I feel like it, I don't want to give you your list now, but your list is up. Man. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tell I, us about your list. It, well, I mean, to defend that really quickly, it, it, it really has nothing to do with, her music. Uh, it's not that I don't appreciate her music or her or her message or her lyrics. I think they're all great. It, it's just, I, I had a bad introduction to PJ Harvey. And so after that, I've been like, I got to get out of the headspace of my initial bad reaction. Cause the bad reaction was my, my introduction to PJ Harvey was these commercials. She had just come out with this, her new album where she was going to play at, at the end, uh, KNDD studios or something like that. Okay. Uh, and there were these, commercials that were playing every 15 minutes for this engagement or for this album and the announcer was like pj harvey known for lyrics of darkness and sex and it just turned me the fuck off (laughs) (laughs) i hated it so much and so after that i was like Every time I heard PJ Harvey, I just heard, and sex. <laughs> uh, although, to be fair, that does sound like the end. That does sound like yeah, KNDD. Yeah. And it perfectly ties into my theme. <laughs> <laughs> Darkness and sex. sex. Yeah. We need you to be dark and sexy, PJ. <laughs> so that's the reason. That, that was my my bad introduction to PJ. But I need to get over my bullshit and start listening to her again. So thanks. Yep. All right. Tell us about your list, man. Sure. Uh, like I mentioned 
earlier, uh, three options came to my head first. The first one was the introspective thing where I could actually take a deep dive into me and do some therapy homework. Hmm, fun. Uh, then I thought about masks, the different masks that people can put on and, and take off and change. And that felt like kind of fun. Uh, maybe introduce like future popped into mind. Right. Uh, and then I thought, well, what about, what about somebody who, who goes through different personalities or has, or who doesn't know who they are from, from day in, day out. And I thought of the lyric from Talking Heads, Life During Wartime, changed my hairstyle so many times now, I don't know what I look like. I initially thought I'd put that in there. And then I thought, <laughs> a secret agent, that could be fun. We could just make like a little secret agent, you know, dope little secret agent spy thriller. That'd be kind of cool. And so I just did that because it, I didn't want to do the therapy homework. Sorry, guys. And you're welcome. <laughs> and you're not off the hook, so, by the way. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> so so to dive in, what I wanted to do, I didn't want to do like I did last time where I wrote a story out of the list. I wanted to instead create a story structure that the listener could follow and then create their own story. That didn't stop me from writing my own story. I did. But um, I didn't want to make you guys do homework, so I didn't, I didn't force it upon you guys. Uh, so we start out with Tom Waits' shore leave from Swordfish Trombone, dipping into Zach's uh, list from last session. He used the same, the same album. I wanted this one. Uh, a, I love the, the song. I love that album. I love this record. I wanted this because it establishes, it establishes a character. It establishes a relationship, it establishes an objective, and it establishes a setting. In improvisation, that's called crow. Character, relationship, objective. I wonder how the same moon outside over this Chinatown fair could look down on Illinois and find you there. You know I love you, baby. The baritone sax drones like a like a like a moped or a rickshaw. I can make it by myself. Less playful on bass, I believe. No fucking way. Pretty certain. Really? Holy shit. I had no idea. I love less. So the song it it establishes those things. It establishes a character. It establishes what he wants. He just wants to get back to his wife, but he's in a foreign setting, a different setting. And it like I said with that 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 baritone sax drone that kind of sounds like traffic going by that barely missing him and he's playing midgets or he's playing billiards with the midgets until the rain stopped all these things kind of just set a setting for this character and in my head for my own story i thought like i actually i set all of these things that he got he got a he got a long sleeve shirt with four horses on the front and a new deck of, or deck of cards with girls on the back these are all things that he had to do these are like drop things that he had to do in order to get his his next contact or the, the location of his contact or something like that, right? So I wanted to do that. And then I start getting uh, instrumental. Then I borrowed from Jose from last last week, uh, Yola Tango, uh, uh, from, from their album, uh, uh, And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out, the exact same album that Jose used last, last session. And uh, the song is Tired Hippo, which has got this very kind of skulky, really syncopated uh syncopated beat in the drums 
it 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 sets up to me this is sort of like the cantina music this sets up a, a scene somewhere uh where you're seeing all sorts of colorful characters and he's trying to he's maybe picking some pockets or what have you uh and just establishing himself somewhere in this in in this in this uh environment and then we get over to the velvet underground and nico femme fatale because well, we have to establish the femme fatale so with this story structure, I, I suppose I should probably start with this. I wanted to make sure that I, I, I hit these little beats, these little things that that I, that that actually that you'd see in story structure. For instance, action beats or sneaking beats, um, meeting other characters, uh, big climaxes, resolution, and then even twist endings. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I hit all of those things that you might find in a in a spy thriller. And this one is introducing the femme fatale. Which you have to have in a in a spy thriller of some form, and I just I love, I love the oversaturated guitar, uh, I love Nico's voice, I love the message that you know she's got you, you you're, you're hopeless under her power, you're fucked. It's just a wonderful, wonderful little piece, and I I I, I had to add it in there. Then we get down to uh, Celia Ann by the Pixies because I love the Pixies. This is actually a cover. Uh, a year before Pixies put this in Bossa Nova, it was recorded by a band called the Surf Tones. And I was actually, I'd, I'd listened to that and I was thinking about using that one instead because I like to use the original, but it's the fucking Pixies. Also, the Pixies version is a, just a little a little more stereophonic. The other one, I suppose, is also stereophonic, but they do a lot of weird stuff with the uh, with switching channels in the surf tones and i wanted this one because it had just like the very slight tremolo it, it's very surfy but very evocative of the 60s and it's very much an action beat this is an action beat in the story where we might see the duo in action doing something cool kicking some ass what have you then i i go into ennio morricone because ennio morricone uh, it... how could you not how could you not with ennio Right, exactly. This one specifically, I the, the disparate bass melody, and then it goes into the lilting minor key uh, piano, which is sad but maybe hopeful. It's open, it's vague, it's evocative. For this one, I wanted a beat that could be either uh, a sweet or well, that that was sort of a tension that goes into a sweet moment that could be, if you wanted it to be, a pan over to the windows and see uh, curtains flowing and then fade to black. It could be a love scene. Um, but I wanted to use this particularly because I, I wanted to establish something that I would reincorporate, reincorporate later in the list because what do we do in story? We reincorporate. So this is the first of three <laughs> Morricones that I use. I do not apologize for that because <laughs> I love Ennio Morricone. Following that, we have an absolute action beat. Uh, the Budos Van, uh, nobody's bulletproof. It, uh, yeah, big action sequence. You can see the sudden style of like. Or, or, or panning in on somebody, zooming in on somebody, and then freeze frame on them, and then that wipes go over to another action. 
excellent record i love buddha's band i love this album or this this the song particularly it's been living in a playlist of mine called i'm hungry let's get a taco which is a uh, which, which oh, yeah. is my uh, <laughs> which is my playlist of uh songs that i want in the hard-boiled heist film that i'd love to see happen but yeah this one is an a- absolute action beat that then goes into the Beastie Boys sneaking out the hospital from uh, from Hella Nasty, which uh, again is sort of this funky, hip hoppy, uh, skulky style thing. It could be, it could just be more uh, more intrigue, more sneaking around, or you know, perhaps our our hero got shot because nobody's bulletproof in the action sequence, and he find wakes up in a hospital and he's drugged out of his mind, and he needs to sneak his way out, and it's hilarious because his butt's hanging out of his gown. Uh, as he's as he's trying to make his way out this hospital, uh, we go then into another Ennio Morricone. This one is from uh, the film uh, *I Malamondo*, which is a a a documentary that was shot in the '60s about uh, that was sort of like a a, a reefer madness style documentary of uh, all the weird shit that teens in Europe are getting up to, like like uh, orgies in cemeteries, which I think this, for that scene, I think this song is from that scene or, or bicycle gangs. And they always like, they always resolve terribly where the teens die or something horrible happens uh, with them or naked skiing in the Alps. But this is the big climax of the story. This is the big climactic battle with the big bad or what have you. Uh, this is also the one that I could have switched out if I could find something more fitting because I didn't want to oversaturate my list with uh, more cunning. But again, I don't apologize for that. Uh, what I really wanted here was some Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein. I wanted um, I wanted the tension and musicality of the prelude of West Side Story. Unfortunately, it's very identifiable as West Side Story. Also, eh, West Side Story is kind of problematic. So I was like, "Eh, I don't, I don't need to introduce that. But this is this kind of captures that as well. It's also it's kind of vague. It doesn't quite this this piece doesn't quite resolve in a big thing. It kind of just peters out, which I liked. I liked that we don't know whether or not our heroes are successful in their in their whatever it is that they're there to do. Then we go into another Morricone. This one is a refrain that uh, works off of Perque. This one's called Perque Simona. Both of these are from a film called Le Morlita in uh, made in 1978, a film that I, I do not recommend anybody watch. <laughs> um, yeah, I looked at the, I looked I at the plot get... for that and I was like, oh, I'll pass. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Uh, and please do pass. <laughs> I got halfway through and I was like, nope, nope, nope. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Nope. Oh, shit. Now I had to look into this. I know. And that's why I, I actually blanch at mentioning it because I know that you're going to look into it and don't. <laughs> Just don't. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. I do what I can. Right. I make no fair, promises. Fair. I mean, you can get it on the internet archive. It's out there. Okay. Uh, this one is uh, a reincorporation of Perque, uh, which kind of resolves uh whatever theme that you want that the listener wants to resolve in this case in mind this is where the femme fatale dies in the arms of our hero and sad and lilting and again it has that 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 beautiful piano 
but it also has a uh, a female a high alto voice uh, singing as well, which I love the way that Marconi is not afraid of using the human voice as an instrument. It's never it never is in the forefront. It never takes control of the music itself. It is a part of it. And he always weaves it in beautifully. Following that, we go on to Mel Torme, Coming Home Baby, from his album, Coming Home Baby. Uh, Come on home. I'm coming home, baby, now. You know I'm waiting at the door. They can't hold me back now, no more. I'm pressing on, baby, now. And pacing up and down the floor. Oh, hear me holler and hear me roll. I very much hope that I'm not alone and having been introduced to Mel Torme by the sitcom Night Court. I had a feeling, like, in this crowd, I thought at least one person would say, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah, the big the big battle between Harry and, was it Christy? Uh, it was either uh, Mel Torme and, oh God, who is it? Uh, Copacabana. Um, oh, Barry Manilow? Barry, Barry Manilow. Manilow. Yeah, I think that they always had a, a feud about that. Uh, Mel Torme, uh, I mean, come on. Uh, 100%. <laughs> Miltor May, man, he got a bad shake. He got a, uh, he, like, if he was around at the, because t- he came at the, just at the tail end of Sinatra's success. Mm. And so he came in and people were just kind of like, we're kind of done with this music, bro. Which is unfortunate because he has a lovely voice. His arrangements are incredible. And this song itself just gives us more of that, more of that jazzy spy shit, that late 60s, early 70s jazzy spy shit. It was, it, this is actually uh, a vocalese version of the original, which was uh, written uh, by uh, Ben Tucker uh, of the Dave Bailey Quintet. Uh, and uh, then somebody wrote lyrics for Mel to sing it. And I'm a sucker for vocalese. Vocalese is, is a uh, style of jazz singing where you take an established bit of music, instrumental music, and then you write lyrics to it and sing that it differentiates from scat where you're not trying to sing like the instrument, but you, uh, but you actually sing the words to the notes. It's uh, made, made popular by uh, Lambert Hendricks and Ross. Uh, they did that a lot. Uh, Kurt Elling did a, did a lot. Uh, the Beatles do it in uh, She's So Heavy or I Want You, uh, where John sings along with his own guitar. Uh, I love vocalese. I'm just a big sucker for that shit. And then we uh, conclude with Nancy Sinatra, Bang Bang My Baby Shot You Down, or Shot Me Down, which uh, is sort of the twist ending, but uh, if you will. But it also has that just heavy tremolo guitar uh, that is very evocative and uh, evokes the, the, the late 60s uh, kind of spy shit. Beautiful song. Bang Bang was the one that was the uh, other handshake across the three lists with uh, I'm Still Here and My Attorney Bernie. I think Uh, that was why I caught this like Hollywood vaudeville theater sort of backbeat connection between the three. Gotcha. So with uh, I'm going, I'm coming home and Bang Bang, my baby shot me down uh, for my the story that I had in my head. uh, He finally, you know, he, he goes home after his mission. He's going home to his wife that he's, you know, he's missed. And he's been thinking about the entire time, even if he was uh, you know, untrue to her by getting with the femme fatale. He gets home and he, she shoots him in the fucking chest uh, because she's been a plant. <laughs> she's been a plant the entire time. And, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. and then Viewer, if you could watch Rob narrating the story. I wish we could have freeze framed yeah, yeah. that moment where he's like, <laughs> the, she's a plant. <laughs> she's a plant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right there. The profile picture. 
Actually, if you imagine Charlie Day in front of a board with a <laughs> bunch exactly of pieces it. of that was exactly. kind of a look. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's my list. I just wanted to uh, tell another story, but actually, on top of that, uh, enable the listener to, to tell their own story or to hear a story in in the music. Also, I just love putting together some fucking sixties and seventies spy shit. Uh, it just felt so cool. I always end up listening to the list, my, at least the first time through, in the order that we're going to break them down in. Mm-hmm. And it was what hitting your list where I went, yeah, this is a chimera. This is, You guys have taken three totally different but very grounded tacks on this idea of identity that comes out of that question. This one being like we had autobiography, we have academic essay, and now we have fiction. So uh, Jose or Zach, who wants to jump in first on Rob's list? I'll uh, I'll get started here. So um, I listened to this one a bunch because it's just so fun. It's it's just kind of it's just ear sugar for me. Um, and the one of the big thoughts that I came away with was uh, Tarantino would be proud. And I want you to take this as a compliment yeah. because no matter what anyone says about Tarantino, his soundtracks are are peerless. They're just fucking amazing. Absolutely. And I, I caught such a heavy energy of just like perfectly curated music for this story. Like this is the soundtrack to a movie that I desperately want to see. And if you gave this to Tarantino and said, make a movie, he'd be like, oh, this is great. I have so much to work with here. Um, now let me see your feet. Let me see you. Show me your feet. <laughs> Guy, such an asshole. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, you're a very good storyteller, so it makes sense that you would employ the talents of another really good storyteller to kind of start things off. Uh, Shore Leave, so Swordfish Trombones was my introduction to Tom Waits, but Shore Leave was really the song that introduced me to the guy. Because um, the first track on the album is this kind of little, you know, mad circus ringleader tune that, that I was I was, I was, was a little turned off by, like, oh God, what am I getting myself into? And then Shore Leave comes on and I'm like, oh my goodness. You're absolutely right about his use of, of sound effects foley i was gonna say foley they're just instruments that he's just converting into you know other things to set a stage it's it's interesting that you don't hear a lot of tom waits music on soundtracks because his his songs are movies right they don't need to be part of another movie yes. like they are their own movie so it did a beautiful job and with that one important uh, exception of him being the one of the artists that jim jarmish makes yeah do the entire sound that's right. true that's true but Jim's a weirdo like Tom. Unless you're so. Neil Young. <laughs> right. Um, so just a, a fantastic way to start off the playlist. I also uh, I also really appreciate that. And I was I was waiting because I was like, I saw the David Jericho in there, like, ooh, we're we're getting into the David the, the Jericho cinematic universe, right? Like this the, the story is expanding. <laughs> I'm assuming that David Jericho is the guy who wrote the eulogy. Yes. I okay. figured that if I'm gonna tell stories, I'm just going to create a narrative universe. And yeah. so yes, i I figured David Jericho is now a thriller writer. Love it. And so yes. I love it. Um it's a new MCU, the McGregor cinematic universe. <laughs> there it is. Right. Um but yeah, I really appreciated that. And I was I was waiting as soon as you posted this, I was waiting for another link to the story and it didn't come. And I was like, that's fine actually. I don't need it. This is actually really fun. I'm I'm having fun kind of piecing this together. And the songs are so expressive that even if I didn't have like a 100% solid understanding of, of, of the, the narrative progression, I could feel my way through it. And that was enough. That was enough for me. I really want to talk about Perquet. I kind of just want to talk about Perquet for the next hour, if you guys don't mind. 
I'll just talk about no, it. it. <laughs> so, so like I said, I listened to this one a handful of times. By the time I got to the third playthrough, I I was listening to the first four songs and I was just thinking about Perquet. I was just like, oh, it's coming. I can't wait. I was just so excited <laughs> to hear it. And then when I got to the fourth or fifth playthrough, I just I just skipped ahead to Perquet and I just played it over and over. I don't know what it is about this. It's a, it's a two minute, almost kind of a throwaway piece by Ennio Morricone. It's like, oh, it's almost incidental music. It's, a, it's something he probably played as a as just a, a a piece of connective tissue between sequences like you know totally unassuming but um jim i want you to play the clip again but before you do i just want to i just want to like set up what i like about it is that it starts off with these discordant strings right that are unwavering and they're just hanging above the bass and the piano which are trying to figure out what they're doing right they're trying to find the theme and it's almost like the strings and the bass and the piano are afraid of each other, right? They don't want to talk to each other. And then as soon as the theme in earnest starts, the strings come down and they're no longer discordant. Now they're playing this beautiful harmony and the, and the things are, go ahead and play it. I just want to hear it again. I don't know. Every time I listened to it, I just got a lump in my throat because uh, Ennio is—he's uh, just so good at creating these just kind of languorous, um, kind of sad, tender, beautiful little little ballads. And you know, he's not—he's known for his spaghetti westerns, so he's known for his big pieces, mm-hmm. right? But when he gets—I just love it when he gets soft and and tender like that. So I don't know. It just—it just killed me, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I like do listen to the soundtrack because that 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 refrain that piano is. Everywhere, right? That, that theme is everywhere throughout the entire thing. That's so right. it's just variations on the same theme. But I, I like how it also contributes this air of ambiguity to the story, which I think is really it's nice. It 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 deepens the story, right? It kind of it just kind of makes it puts you it doesn't put it puts you on on not solid ground as to as to like who to trust, like what's going on here, who's getting emotionally compromised, right? For the first time. A song on somebody's list is a song that was already in my liked songs playlist, which was the Budos Band. Uh, Just thought I would point that out. A single green heart (laughs) 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 on the playlist. I've never seen it before. We've gone through, I don't know how many playlists and there, and there it was. I was like, oh, this is great. Great track. And then, yeah, just everything else. And and again, the Tarantino connection, like obviously the Morricone is one part of it because he, he worked with Morricone on Hateful Eight. But then you got My Baby Shot Me Down, which is what he opened Kill Bill with. Yep. Um, it just has that great, you know, like his, all of his soundtracks kind of tell his story in this in this really emotional way, as did yours. And uh, yeah, man, it was just super fun. I dug it a whole bunch. Cool. Thanks, man. I mean, I, I won't lie. I was trying to channel him a little bit in terms of the music because it just once i put bang bang in there i was like oh man i'm just doing tarantino aren't i cool i'm glad you dug it um zach talked a lot about the the emotional content of this the uh, of the stuff so i'm just going to kind of like talk around the edges um uh overall i really uh it's one of my favorite ways of making lists is, is using uh music to create kind of like a a, a soundscape 
uh, to to follow along with. And I really you you nailed it with this particular list of of doing just that, uh, using music to accentuate the mood of a genre story. That that to me that's that's like. You're going for my heart at that point, man. I thought uh, of you. I thought of you a lot, actually. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Um, uh, just noting on Yola Tango's Tired Hippo. Uh, and for, for me, this this list kind of um, uh, became like a, a lost 007 or a 008, you know, just like some weird cheap knockoff kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Tired Hippo, the for me, it's the the surf guitar. That kind of lends it that spy, that 60s, 70s spy uh, tone. And it, it really sticks out in that song. Um, just wanted to note on Nobody's Bulletproof, you have broken the seal on Afrobeat uh, on on the uh, the uh, needle exchange lists. I don't think oh, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's been touched yet. So thank you. Thank you for bringing Absolutely. Afrobeat. I'm surprised uh, it took us this long, man. <laughs> Especially between you and me. Well, granted, this is the third list. You know, we've been at this for some time. We're this only the third episode, so you know it hasn't been that long as far as like the audience is concerned. Our next theme is Afrobeat. It's all Afrobeat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just Felicuti all the way down. <laughs> will certainly not be the last time of Felicuti or Antibalas and Buddhist band or any of the Kuti children will yep. belong in here. Yeah, it's not the last time you'll hear it. Um, uh, we mentioned Velakuti. This is all for the audience now. You know, you guys, you need to go smoke a cigarette or something. Um, but uh, yeah, the thing about Afrobeat, it is barely concealed protest music embedded into like highly danceable rhythms and and, and instrumentation. Uh, so just sit down and get used to it because you're going to get a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then I want to jump down to Party Prohibito. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to play that that sample again, but let me just really quickly. What I like about the song is how Morricone he writes this piece and makes it sound like Count Basie and um, uh, uh, Benny Goodman had like done some cocaine and combined it with NSAIDs. Uh, and that last <laughs> part in particular is about how instruments jump in and jump out, uh, in the course of, um, let, let's see, if, I think that, it, yeah, there's your Benny Goodman there. It, it, <laughs> there's so much going on in this track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Batesy and Goodman on a bender. That's basically what I'm getting out of this whole thing. And it, it's so gorgeous to listen to. Um, and Leonard Bernstein is the uh, supplier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. I had so much fun with this list. I, um, I, I don't want to belabor too many points here. I, I just think it's a fun fucking list. Uh, and I, I like the way that it just all breaks down into this. Because uh, I did create my own narrative. We've already talked about that at length uh, in this thing. Um, and it was great. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you. Yep. It solidified the episode being or having a more instrumental focus than I expected for some reason but i think it makes sense given that you are all storytellers of different sorts that when it came down to the ideas of identity who are you you went to show don't tell 
sort of instinctively. But like the, on my first listen, that was like when I got through Rob's, especially because it's the the heaviest of the three. The the lists as a whole are definitely more instrumentally focused than, than the previous sets have been. So uh, any so that was one of my uh, takes on the the week uh, or now week plus as a whole. Um, Rob, do you want to start us off with uh, the gamification oh, of the lists? Hell yeah, for this week? I do. Hell yeah, I do. Listeners, if you're not aware, I I average out the year, the release year of each of each song when they were released, and I find the spiritual birthday of that year, starting with uh, you, Jose, for your list, the Zelig, which, by the way, fantastic title for your list, excellently done. <laughs> Thank Zelig. you. I. I also predict this week is going to be like the biggest difference between those birthdays, just having taken the high level view of the lists <laughs> and where those years are at. I'm guessing there's a lot of distance between these birthdays. Uh, you'd be surprised, actually. Mm. Oh, really? Okay. Because, Jose, yours was born on April 1st, 1993 at 7.30 in the morning. Do you recall what you were doing April 1st, 1993? Uh, I, I had just arrived in Seattle. Uh, at what time of the day? Uh, Seven thirty in the morning, but that's you know irrelevant. Uh, uh, so April first, uh, I, I was trying to figure out some way of doing some April Fool's joke, but I was likely uh, not awake, waiting for the one seventy four to get into downtown from SeaTac. That's that's quite likely what I was doing at that time. That tracks. That tracks. Zach, moving on to you with your list. Everybody's everybody. Your spiritual birthday is. It's a New Year's baby, January 1st, 1993 at midnight. Oh, shit. Whoa, 93 again. Um, what the hell was I doing at 16 years of age on new on a New Year's? Yeah, I think I might have been out in the woods uh, getting drunk, possibly for the first time with my friends and uh talking about how i really wanted to go to wenatchee and uh tell this girl that i had a crush on that i loved her and how close <laughs> i came to actually doing it because i had a couple of friends who were fully game to do it we were in bellevue and they were gonna it was like you know one o'clock in the morning and they were like yeah dude let's do it let's drive to wenatchee let's do it and then we passed i remember so. those <laughs> then you passed of course I, I i i recall and adore those moments of just of heroic lust <laughs> i'm going to do something massive i'm going to carve your name into my pectoria yeah exactly uh ultimately creepy at the end of the day very but, nick cave very nick cave very nick cave, <laughs> very nick cave. oh i'm, I'm sorry you i want to be as cool as nick cave but you actually end up looking like jared leto Ooh, <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. Just, you cut me real deep jim I forgot. Uh, I also I also mine out the uh, the number one songs U.S. and U.K. release for that day or for that for that time. Uh, Jose's uh, your U.S. number one hit was uh, "Can't Nobody Hold Me Down" by Puff Daddy featuring Ma- Maze or Masse. Hmm. Well, don't, okay. don't. and your new U.K. number one hit was "Block Rock and Beats" Chemical Brothers. Nice, oh, yeah. hell yeah, yeah. nice, <laughs> fuck yeah, nice. Congratulations, uh, Jose. Yeah, I'm <laughs> listening to that as soon as we're done. Zach, your U.S. number one hit was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Of course it fucking was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which was perfect for your little Wenatchee story. Your U.K. number one hit was 
Your UK number one hit was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. <laughs> Again, oh. not at all surprised. First, first time they've matched up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love the fact, I, I still love the fact that Dolly Parton wrote both that and Jolene in the same fucking day. Wow. Yeah. Because she's a genius. Finally for me, my list, uh, Where or Who Are You This Time? A Drake D'Amico spy thriller by David Jericho. My list was born on May 12th, 1981. At 7.38 in the evening, uh, I was, what, barely four at the time? Yeah, no, I was four and a half. I was probably, I'd, I'd soundly come out of my Luke Skywalker phase, and I was soundly into my Han Solo phase. For, for years, <laughs> I, would not, I, I would not respond to my own name. I would, you could only call me Luke. After Empire, Han Solo was the shit to me and so i was definitely in my han solo phase i remember sitting in my my parents uh <laughs> one day i was sitting in my parents uh station wagon and i was playing millennium falcon i was pretending to be you know han solo and the millennium falcon in the bucket seat and everything and i put the car in reverse <laughs> or neutral and started rolling t- took off the uh the emergency brake and started rolling my mom just came running across the yard diving in to stop the car uh, my U- number one U.S. hit uh, for that year was uh, Betty Davis Eyes, Kim Carnes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. nice. My U.K. number one hit, Stand and Deliver, Adam and the Ants. Nice. Oh, nice. Good awesome. one. Good one. Stand and Deliver. That's a great pairing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, those uh, are the birthdays of our lists. Yeah. Uh, Jose, Zach, or Rob got any kind of final reflections on the, the collection of the three lists from the week? I only have one thing to share, uh, especially after listening to uh, um, what we recorded yesterday. Um, there was one huge obvious lie in, in my breakdown of the list. Uh, um, nobody caught it. So I'm, I'm being upfront about like, yeah, it's there. Uh, audience, I challenge you to leave a comment if you actually care, if you're actually listening, if you're out there. Uh, or you guys, if you want to take a stab at what that is, you could do it now or in, you know, afterwards. I don't care. But I just wanted to put it out there. Huge lie in my breakdown. All right. You heard that. Oh, shit. Jim's mom and Zach's mom. You guys need to call, call his <laughs> out. On the, on the yeah, and then you need to give most me Most regular listeners. Jose, so uh, you're going to go listen to Critters Buggin' afterwards, and I'm not going to go dissect your recording from yesterday. <laughs> great. I love having a brain like this. It's awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you after. I love the theme. I love putting it together. I appreciated all your lists. As always, you guys are excellent, excellent music curators, and I always enjoy this exercise with you. Thanks for having me along. Oh, yeah. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you all for joining us again on the Needle Exchange. If you're enjoying the podcast, of course, please consider dropping a review, moms, uh, or a comment on the Substack, or tell your friends or families about us. So for our next episode, we're going to switch it up a little bit because I will be challenging our DJs with a special theme. Once again, second time in one episode, taking producer privilege. Uh, So tune in and find out what they do with it on the Needle Exchange. Okay, give me the needle.